Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Austin Kerrigan. I'm Billy Smith. And I'm Hank Gooch. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. As you heard, I'm, I'm really excited today. We got a lot of great guests uh, some of the better well-known painters in the Kings of War community. And today we're going to be doing a deep dive into airbrushes. Um, I've started to uh, twinkle my toes in the, the sea of airbrushing. Uh, so I'm really excited to sort of sit in for all those airbrush curious painters or maybe people in the audience who have, who have thought about wanting to maybe get into airbrushing and who uh, haven't made that jump. Um, so we're going to talk uh, about the equipment of airbrushing, uh, how you get into it, you know, all the the ins and outs of uh, airbrushes. So, you know, I really do have a great cast of painters on today. We, you know, we have Billy, known uh, for his creamsicle dwarves and amazing beard. Um, Hank, uh, if you haven't seen his hot tub dwarves, you haven't really been on the Internet. And then everyone knows Austin, his really awesome uh, non-metallic metals, his his giant picture frame, base size needing monster. So we really got a great panel for you guys today on the show. So. Uh, before we get into airbrushing, we're going to do like a quick around the horn. We're going to uh, uh, get to know uh, our guests and kind of hear how they got into miniature painting and maybe what they're working on uh, right now. So why don't you go first, Austin? Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into miniature painting and what's on your hobby desk? Sure. Uh, I got in. I first started painting almost 20 years ago. Uh, there was a Hobbytown USA store within walking distance of my house growing up and stumbled in there saw some really cool looking blister packs didn't know what i was grabbing and it's kind of spiraled ever since then uh what's currently on the desk i have started uh through quarantine shifting my direction toward abyssals so right now it's kind of knocking out most of the heroes and monsters and then figuring out the infantry after that so tidying up a well of souls at the moment very cool yeah that and that where is that i i know uh, i saw a picture of it you have just like a crazy giant monster for your well of souls what line is that from it's from creature caster it's their king of malefica okay awesome i know we've had you on a few times billy so not you know we don't really need your uh uh your epic tale but if you want give us a little thing about maybe what you're working on now yeah, so I've actually got a bunch of things on my table currently. I started an orc army earlier this year, and it's been kind of like a not quite a speed paint project, but like a not to the intense, you know, concentration level of my dwarf army. So that's been nice to just kind of paint stuff and get it done and be like happy with just like a decent result. Um, and then this has actually been a pretty big year for Star Wars Legion as far as like releases. So like um, I just got the Inferno Squad, so I have two boxes of those that I'm working on uh, assembling and getting those painted up. And I just bought the new Matsudan for Dead Zone because they're amazing. Magnetize all that stuff. And then, um, of course, we have Armada coming out, so I'm going to be going to be working on that when that comes out. But uh, I've got a GT in January, and I'm going to be making a special monster for that and uh, just finishing up a couple more dwarf units. So I'm doing about 
a little of everything, honestly. Yeah, I saw that you and Rob are going in right on on Habsies of splitting a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah, we're we are psyched about naval combat because um he had actually picked up a bunch of Uncharted Sea stuff when that game went under, and we were working on a way to we were actually trying to write some rules for it just so we could play you know for narrative events, and then Manda goes, hey, here's Black's you know here's our game, and I was like, oh well, never mind then, <laughs> let's just play that. Yeah, I'm super psyched, and I will be uh, pre-ordering as well. Uh, I'm not sure if my local store is going to get it, so I will be doing mail orders and joining joining the brawlers and pre- pre-ordering my stuff from uh, the War Room. So I sent I sent them an email, so they're going to pre-order for me and ship it out to California. So uh, I'm pretty psyched. I am too. I'm a huge naval guy. I love I love the Man of War. I've always loved ship combat. So uh, I am really psyched for Armada as well. Uh, I know we've had you on before, just briefly, Hank, when you were talking about your uh, your electronified bases. But why don't you give us a little bit of what how you came to miniature painting and maybe what you're working on? Sure. Um, I started painting back in I think it was like 2008. Uh, I worked with a guy. He played a lot of Warhammer and stuff, and I thought that was kind of cool. So I, I was down at the shop quite a bit, you know, playing Magic and all, and um, I would see people playing Warhammer and War Machine. So I kind of got into that and started painting painting a dwarf army, um, and we would play, like, over lunch and stuff. But, I mean, to be honest, man, I, I hated it. Like, I was just painting just to have stuff to play. I did not enjoy it at all. So I probably I took a, a pretty long hiatus up until a couple of years ago. Me getting into painting is probably not like the the best story ever because it's kind of dark for me because I went through some pretty rough times in my life dealing with depression and stuff like that, which led to um, I would say a lot of bad life choices, but some. And so um, I ended up drinking quite a bit, and I came a time in my life back in 2018 where I decided to give all that stuff up. So for me, painting really kind of filled that void that I had in my life. And it's kind of, it's hard for me to talk about. I didn't really get into the King's War community until about a year later, just because um, I was a little bit unsure about how all that would work for me. But everybody's been really supportive for me. And so today is actually two years and eight months of sobriety for me. So I'm pretty happy about that. Awesome, man. Congratulations. um, Yeah, painting for me has just been... Well, it's been kind of like a lifesaver because instead of instead of drinking and stuff, you know, I got something else to do, and I've been able to paint for a purpose and actually enjoy it now. So now I don't really paint, you know, to to paint armies. I just I paint to have fun and actually enjoy it to give my my brain something else to concentrate on. So yeah, so right now I'm actually I've finished up my hot tub dwarves. I'm probably going to do some more units for that. Um, I am working on a, a Northern Alliance slash Beringer army right now with some walruses and some big well warriors and stuff like that. Uh, I'm going to try to have that done before January. And I'm probably going to bring some of the hot tub dwarf stuff into that. I got some ideas about, um, you know, a polar bear club, then maybe doing some swimming in some ice holes. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I also, I went ahead and pre-ordered the Armada stuff because, well, that looks too cool to pass up. (laughs) But yeah, other than that, man, I don't have too much more going on. I've got probably four different armies that I want to paint, and I got miniatures for all of them, but I'll get to them eventually. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that. I know for me, um, I've talked about it on the show a bunch of times before, but uh, I came back to miniature painting when I was in a real rough spot, too, of relationships and so much chaos, and uh, just like my life was had no uh, center, there was no gravity 
for me. And I found the, uh, the piece that comes with model painting of being able to just absorb yourself in that help get my feet on the ground. I know that's like, often we don't talk about that sort of stuff. And when we talk about hobby stuff, so I just want to say thank you very much. Well, for sharing yeah, and and I wasn't, I wasn't going to, to talk about that, but, um, man, like the community as a whole, like I remember my first lone wolf, um, tournament I went to, and I was so scared cause I was, it's just over a year of sobriety for me. And, you know, I'd seen all these posts and stuff of like people getting crazy at tournaments and the people I used to hang out with and all, you know, uh, it was kind of a big deal for them. So I was actually quite surprised um, how many people didn't drink, how many people um, were very encouraging to me and never pushed the issue with me. And that the amount of support um, in the community that I found was actually quite shocking. So that's the main thing that's kept me actually coming back and meeting more people and playing in tournaments and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful for that. And we've talked about on the show before, I know Billy and I have, you know, Billy's such a proponent of a positivity and the positive force the hobby can have on your life. And I know we've, we, we've thought about doing more sort of outreach or more episodes about sort of the mental health and the life health that miniature painting can give to you. I see it. I, I know, like, I don't know what you guys, but if I go like three or four days without painting a model it's like i start to twitch you know what i mean like my brain starts to get a little crazy and i'm like why am i feeling all weird and i can usually all the time it's like well you haven't painted a model in three or four days no i feel you and that's one of the reasons why i've gotten um, so good i've been going to ReaperCon, taking um, classes you know every year and then on top of that man like for the last two and a half years like i've been painting minimum at least 10 to 30 minutes like almost every day that consistency makes a huge difference too on just trying to block 10 to 30 minutes out a day even if you can't knock out a whole model but even working on a section it adds up yeah and for me it's just been technique driven you know like i've um i've got a bunch of bones models that somebody gave me i've even you know, sculpt it some of my own and cast up a bunch just to have stuff to practice on. I've got a whole pile of like unfinished miniatures where I just basically primed and just said, okay, I'm going to work on skin tones or I'm going to work on uh, non-metallic metal. I'm going to work on layering. And I just concentrate on one thing and just, just hone in on that one particular technique until I'm comfortable with it. Now, before we sort of get in the airbrush, there's one thing I just wanted to comment. I'm curious your guys' thoughts on it. I know so much in our hobby is, you mentioned it, it's community, and usually on like the competitive side, it's people sharing lists, it's people talking strategy, going over tournament results. But I think there's also this sort of network among hobbyists. I know for me, talking to, you know, Hank's in my club, Tabletop Titans, so talking at hobby in our, our chat, or I know Austin and Billy are like my my painting gurus i always go to you guys and i'm like what color should this be or where do i need more highlights so is that what what about that communication is so important even when you like you guys when you guys get to a high level i know austin and billy right you guys are always trading ideas or how how important is that communication between um fellow hobbyists when we're working on our skills i mean austin's my friend you know what i mean so like it's kind of cool we have a thing to share but like it's it's kind of cool just to have somebody who uh, is of like a similar and I, I don't mean to compare myself to Austin or the Hanks of the world, but um, you know, someone who, who understands, you know, some high level type stuff and can give you a real like professional expert opinion on it. I think that's pretty pretty nice to have, you know, just like it's nice to have the Tom Anises and the those types to ask list questions. It's really nice to have the uh, have the Austins around to ask, like you said, what color should I paint this? 
I think it's yeah. great motivation just to be able to bounce ideas off of the community. Like you were saying, it's such a positive community with Kings of War. It's not just the game side. I mean, so much time goes into the prep work before you can even play the game. So having that that positive energy and being able to, to bounce off ideas. Like I, I talk to Billy all the time on on suggestions, and I talk to people that are even newer at painting to get their opinion too, because it's nice to have a different perspective. Yeah, I bounce a lot of stuff off of like Jeff and Jordan, because uh, I see them on a pretty regular basis. And they're really good painters, too. Um, Jordan's army, my first lone wolf, you know, when I saw his stuff and saw all the armies, that's what really pushed me to really get better for my actual painted armies that I take to tournaments because I just looked at those things. I was like, wow. So I get their opinion, uh, their opinion a lot on a lot of stuff that I do. The main person that's helped me like with colors and stuff has been my wife because she's actually an artist. So she's had, you know, some breakdown sessions with me on color theory and how all your, this your stuff secret works weapon. together. <laughs> Yeah, so there's times I'll I'll go and take them all to her, and I'm like, I don't know what color I need to put in here. She's like, have you tried a green or this or that? And Yeah, so she's been quite helpful. And now it's just, you know, it's finally starting to, to get clicking in my mind where um, those kinds of decisions are becoming more secondhand nature. And if not, you know, they have awesome websites that you can pull up that have a color wheel where you can um, kind of plan out your your color scheme and stuff on that. So. Yeah, I think my biggest thing this summer, and I know it's something I've talked with Billy and Austin a lot about, is, you know, when you first come up in the GW painting world, it's edge highlight, edge highlight. You base coat, you wash, edge highlight, right? And that's not really, there's no real conception of how light is supposed to work, right? You're just, you just highlight the edge of everything. So that's something I've really been trying to work on this summer is to begin to understand how light looks how light works on certain like geometry like certain services surfaces how does because really that's what we're doing right in many ways you're just painting how light would work on a model so i know that's really been my one of my big things i've been trying to work on on lockdown is sort of get away from just that let me just highlight the edges and try to think about models on a little bit more complex level i guess well cool so we're going to get right into airbrushing i think one of the uh, uh first things that comes up and it's a, a question we got from ian roger which is um he says start basic please what is an airbrush how do they work how are they different from a normal brush and it's sort of like i imagine i, I like the idea we do it on list builder studio right of the elevator pitch of like why do an airbrush so let's do a quick around a horn Let's give just like a basic on like what is airbrushing uh, and then like why would you want someone to get into airbrushing? So why don't you go first, Billy? So for me, um, a lot of it was I just hate base coating models. Um, and so it, it was a way for me to just do that faster. Um, you know, I did a lot of research, did a lot of reading. And like I find that the part I enjoy the least in the painting process is just putting those base coats down and um, – you know, if I could take an airbrush and do a, re you know, really smooth, slick, thin air, uh, thin coat on with the airbrush that covers a majority of the model, and all I got to do is pick out the little stuff, it, it saves me a lot of time. So, honestly, for me, it was just a, I hate this part of the hobby, I'm trying to make it better. The other thing is, I live in an area where the humidity level rarely drops below 70% for the majority of the year, and so the ability to be able to prime models regardless of weather is pretty awesome um those are the those are my two big reasons honestly yeah because if you're if you prime with a rattle can right you got to be really uh uh cognizant of what the weather's like or you can get dusting or you could you can end up ruining models basically 
Oh yeah. I mean, you can always you can always strip stuff, but it's just it's so much nicer when you can just come in with the airbrush and lay down a super thin primer coat. And, you know, I, I do a lot of zenithal priming as well, even if it doesn't show up in like the final model. I do a lot of that, um, you, you know, where you, where you prime black and then you do like a gray and then you do a white from the top just so that um, I can see the details on a model better. Um, it just helps me during the process. Awesome. And and, and kind of what you're telling that resonates with me, Billy, and it's really one of the reasons why I got an airbrush is the part of the model that takes me the longest and I despise the most are base coats. So anything that can help me speed up that process and get me to the fun part, uh, I'm excited to try. So that's exciting to hear that that's like one of the reasons why you like it, because really that's that's sort of where I'm starting in my airbrush journey, which is I'm trying to find ways to continue to get better, but also speed things up. I think it's it's definitely a tool for that. Absolutely. Um, there's also a lot of cool, you know, technical type stuff you can do with it, um, especially on bigger models. But, you know, the, the bulk of it for me was just being able to paint faster. And it definitely does do that. Okay, what about you, Hank? What would be sort of your ele- elevator pitch on, on uh, why you would recommend someone start airbrushing? First, pretty much everything Billy just said. Um, I got an airbrush. Well, I started, first time I used airbrush was back when I was a teenager when I had a taxidermy shop. So um, I was already kind of familiar with it, but I moved from Wyoming down to texas and i remember the first time i put a clear coat on a miniature i just spent five hours on completely ruined the thing i was so mad Uh, so i decided to get an airbrush mainly for finishing uh, to put like sealant and stuff on it and so i ended up doing that and it turned out hey you know i can also prime with it and then I had bigger models that I wanted to do. So like Billy said, it's really great for laying down that first layer of base coat, especially uh, when you do like the zenithal highlight, like he mentioned, when you put that base coat over that from that same angle, you automatically get like all those nice shadows and stuff put in there for you where you know exactly where they need to go. Because like what you talked about, like light on surface, right? So light always goes in a straight direction. So if you're painting, um, at the same direction with that airbrush, you're not moving the airbrush around. You're painting the same direction. You move the, the model kind of around where you need to get to, but you're going to have all those natural shadows and stuff for you after you put your base coats on. And that, for me, really helped dictate um, where I put my paints for my darker shadows and my higher highlights and stuff like that. So uh, it's kind of a game changer for me. And also washes. Like I've never really used washes um, a lot in like the past year or two i kind of gotten away from that but airbrush for like glazing is like top notch and is that kind of does that stuff resonate with you too austin of, of liking an airbrush for speed or or what do you think what would you tell someone just wanting to get an airbrushing yeah i think to piggyback on their points uh using it to get past the priming and actually having control over not just the primer but on base coats on where particularly the primer on just how much paint you're applying it. It's so easy with those rattle cans to, to overspray and lose detail. Uh, so I think by having control on how much paint you're applying to it makes the world's difference. And then also, since I'm a sucker for some of the larger miniatures, that helps a lot on uh, gradation, on just transitioning from one color to another, especially on wings. I'm a sucker for using the airbrush on that. It's also, it's really easy to pick up. It's I mean, it's loading one color, then loading another color, airbrushing over that, and you can get really smooth transitions on your paints without having to use some of the more advanced 
uh, paintbrush techniques such as wet blending. So it's it's pretty friendly without needing some advanced airbrush ability. You know, and some of the things, you know, that you hear from people who are maybe on the fence about airbrushing, and I'm curious as to what your guys' thoughts on this. Often you hear if someone's thinking about getting into airbrushing, they'll be like, does it take up too much space? You know, that was one qu- question Jake had was Jake asked from Unplugged Radio was uh, he's in a one bedroom apartment. So just he's just wondering about about having dedicated space to it. Often you hear people say it's too hard to clean or how, sort of those standard things that you guys hear as reasons why not to get an airbrush, the space issue, the the cleaning issue. Um, after gaining experience with an airbrush, it, are those still stuff to think about? Are they overblown? Or, or what do you think about that? Why don't you go first, Billy? Yeah, I mean, so the space, let's hit it one thing at a time. The space thing, um, you you probably want a dedicated space to do it just because it's going to, you know, you have an air compressor, you're going to have some kind of booth to spray it in. You're either going to need a respirator or um, they, ha- they have spray booths that like push the ventilated particles outside. And then, of course, you know, you, you've got to have a place to put all your paints and, and everything else. So it takes a little bit of space. But I think, honestly, like I keep mine on my hobby desk, which is probably about 40 inches wide. It's not even the biggest hobby desk. And it's, you know, I just push it off to the side when I'm not using it. As far as the cleaning goes, I think that's crazy. It's just as easy to clean as anything else. I mean, you you, you kind of run some cleaning fluids through it. You, you scrub out the, the cup and make sure nothing's on your needle and take the parts apart every once in a while and really scrub them apart. Um, it's, it's pretty easy. So I think, I think people kind of overblow that stuff just a little bit. Uh, I don't think it's as bad. Uh, what about you, Hank? Similar, similar thoughts to Billy? Yeah. I, I mean, I have a little cart that I actually paint on. So it's like an old laptop cart that I convert to a paint station and I have my compressor down underneath and my airbrush actually sits in a, a jar of isopropanol alcohol. I just have enough in there to cover the cup and all in there to help keep it clean. But yeah, it doesn't take up a lot of space. Um, I have a little dedicated space, I guess, kind of like Billy. I mean, it's basically my hobby painting area. I don't have a lot around it there. So I don't think space is really a huge deal. And even if you have a really confined space, I mean, the compressor and all, is it's small enough you could package it up and put it away, you know, somewhere um, when you're not using it. Cleaning? I mean, I will say this. I don't think, if you're lazy, I don't think you should own an airbrush. Because if you, if you don't clean it, uh, if you let paint sit in it, sit in it, then yeah, you're you're gonna have problems. Um, and if you, especially if you have a nice airbrush, it, I mean, ruining a $200 airbrush because you don't clean it properly, uh, to me is just laziness. I don't think it's that hard. I, I think um, if you're worried about cleaning it, you know, watch a few videos. I mean, you put paint through it, you run cleaner through it. I back flushed mine, put more cleaner through it, and then. I put it in my jar, and I might have to take it apart every couple of months and clean the nozzle and stuff out. Or, you know, if it starts getting um, kind of gunked up and sputtering a lot, you know, I might take it apart and clean it real quick. But I've never had an issue uh, with cleaning. It's it's pretty simple and straightforward. And you don't need a rocket science um, major or whatever to actually take the thing apart, right? They're all pretty universal. Every airbrush, I have four airbrushes, and while they're all different, like the parts are pretty much the same. So they're very easy to take apart and put back together. So I don't, I don't see an issue with that. And what was the other question? You know, Jake actually mentioned that um, he was concerned that it might be too loud or too smelly. And um, air compressors that are designed for airbrushing are typically pretty quiet. They don't, they don't really make a lot of racket. And um, the, the smell is really just going to depend on what kind of paint you're using. But acrylic paint is so, I mean, it's it's 
pretty safe overall, so it's not really very toxic or anything. Yeah, my compressor, I mean, you can hear it, but it's not really loud. I mean, I use mine in the middle of the night, like when my wife's asleep, and it doesn't bother her. So. And what about you, Austin? Do you have like a separate space for your airbrush, or is it kind of combined on your hobby desk? or? Uh, so mine's actually combined on the hobby desk, and I mean, I've even had it before where it's like on the corner of a, a kitchen table, so you don't really need much space or even a dedicated space for it. Uh, you just need something that can catch the, you know, the direction that the air is spraying in. So some type of tray or mat. I mean, that's pretty much it. And so it doesn't take much space. And then in terms of the the compressor and sound that Billy was just talking about, I mean, you have tankless ones that are going to constantly make a buzzing sound. So I wouldn't advise that. But if you get a compressor with a tank, uh, it's it's fairly quiet. Going shifting more toward the cleaning side. Uh, like they said, I mean, you run water through it, you can run a cleaner, and then even using, I have this thing called Super Lube, sounds exciting, I know, by Iwata, uh, I run that through the needle, otherwise, if you leave water on the needle, it tends to, to jam a little bit, at least mine have in the past. It's super easy to maintain and clean, like they said, as long as you, you clean it after the end of each session, it's, it's not much more maintenance than a regular brush. And has the longevity. Uh, I mean, I've been using the same compressor for five years now. So, I mean, it's a a good long-term investment. Yeah, well, so what we're going to cover today is that we're going to cover the airbrush itself. So what to think about when you're actually buying the airbrush. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about compressors. Uh, Like Austin said, sort of the the tank versus tankless, what should you get? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about spray booth or and then uh, how does a spray booth work with a mask as in, you know, stuff to think about when you're uh, trying to be safe while airbrushing. Well, we'll talk a little bit about cleaner. I'm curious. You hear a lot of different ways that people clean their airbrush, you know, from Windex to to alcohol to lots of different stuff. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then at the end of the show, we'll circle around to paints and thinner for airbrush, you know, uh, are using paints specifically designed for airbrush. How do, how do you use paints from any sort of line? So uh, we're really going to try to touch all the major aspects that someone would, would want to, to know about while getting into an airbrush. So first off, why don't we talk about just like the basics of getting into um, airbrushing? Uh, who wants to go first and talk about sort of w- what should someone be looking out first when they're trying to think about what uh, the actual airbrush, what sort of should they start some- with something cheaper and learn? Should they go for something nicer? or w- What should they be looking at when they first start uh, looking at airbrushes? Uh, I'll jump in first then, I guess. I think the the first thing you need to figure out is what is your, your goal with the airbrush? A lot of them have different needle and nozzle sizes, basically allowing the different uh, diameter of, of airflow to push through. So I kind of lump them into three categories. If the nozzle is the nozzle needle are 0.15 to 0.25, that's what I kind of consider more like your fine detail work. You're not going to want to get one of those if you're planning on just priming and doing a lot of base coats, it's going to be a little more frequent to, to jamming since it's a smaller area of pushing the paint through. And then more of your mid range kind of covers both is more around the like 0.3 to 0.35 millimeters. That's honestly like the, what I end up going for, for my workhorse one. And then you have more of like, if you want just base coat, just priming, you're not trying to do anything else. It'll cover distance really quick or co- cover surface area very quickly 
and that's going to be more along your your point four to 0.5 millimeter needles. And then in terms of, so once you've figured out what your your target is on what your intentions are with the airbrush, then I think the next most important thing is figuring out one, the, uh, the, contr- the control. And what I mean by that is the trigger. There's a, the, tr- the, there's two or three different types of triggers. You have the double action one where you can press down and that releases you. So However much you press down controls how much airflow there is. And when you pull back, that controls how much paint is released. So it gives you control over both. That's what I personally would recommend if you're trying to do more than just base coating. But you can have the, the those automatic ones uh, that are more of like the double dependent control, which you don't have to push down for air. You just pull back to control the amount of paint. And then you also have the, the pistol grip ones which I'll be honest, I've never used the pistol grip one, so I don't know if I can say anything toward them. Sparmax is the brand that's pretty famous for making those. So maybe someone else on the panel might have tried one. But other than that, the the last thing I want to note is the cups. So definitely go for for gravity-fed cup. That's where the cup sits on top of the airbrush. Because if you go for the siphon kind, which is like the cup underneath, a lot of times you end up wasting extra paint and then it's also a little bit harder to clean up because they're sitting in these vials that you're trying to fill up with paint. Yeah, I know, Hank, you said you had multiple airbrushes. Do you, are your multiple airbrushes just different brands or do you have like the different um, mil- well, millimeters? I have, or? Yeah, I have a really cheap one that I got first when I was um, first starting airbrushing for like priming and stuff like that. I don't even know what that one's called, but I have a, a posh double action siphon one and i used that one i had that one from like taxidermy and stuff just because i have you know different bottles of different colors that i'd use and that one man i got small small nozzle all the way up to like a huge like you can actually see how big it is it's got to be like a millimeter or something i don't it's ridiculously big the um the largest nozzle on that thing and i use that a lot for like terrain um, just because I can push a lot of paint through it and I get a lot more coverage with it. And I use it sometimes for priming. But then my favorite one that I have right now is the the Eclipse by Iowata. Um, and that's pretty much my workhorse. I pretty much use that one for everything. And it's got, I think, a 0.35 nozzle on it. One thing that I do wish that I had, I've, I've been looking at some other airbrushes too, uh, talking about like the cup size. Particularly when you get down to like the smaller nozzles, when you're trying to do a lot of detail. Um, a lot of times, man, that cup kind of gets in the way, and you end up kind of looking at sideways, kind of at an angle to try to see like where you're actually pointed at on the miniature. So I've had that struggle a little bit, but there are some other airbrushes like the Infinity. I know it's it's pretty expensive, but it's really nice. They got smaller cups on their detail airbrushes, and I wasn't quite sure why that was, but you get a lot more visibility as far as like where you're actually painting with with the smaller cup. But as far as starting off, um, I would recommend like Badger has some really good airbrushes for a pretty cheap price. Um, I wouldn't go really cheap because more than likely you're going to be really, really frustrated with it. You're going to deal with a lot of clogging and stuff like that. But Badger, you know, for 50 to $80, you can get a nice intro uh, introductory airbrush and it works pretty decently. And then if you get really serious about it and you think that you are going to really get into it and you like it, then then you can move up. The sky's pretty much the limit from there. Piggyback on Hank's thing, Badger at the end of each year anniversary. And I believe this past year was their 56th 
I think it's based off the guy's birthday that runs the company. So this year around Christmas, all their airbrushes should be on sale for $57. And then as an alternative with Iwata, you can get the Neos at Hobby Lobby and often stack a 40% off coupon with that to help you get started. Cool. It's good to know. I was just going to say that, um, you know, I started out with the uh, with the go to Amazon master bundle, the super cheap airbrush, all the accessories and stuff. And it comes with a compressor. And I've still actually got that same compressor and it's still running just fine. And um, yeah, I agree. You, you, you might run into some some extra clogging issues and stuff just because it is kind of a cheaper machine. But it's really nice to, to learn with. So you're not like I, I don't ever want to mess up something that costs the amount of money that an Iwata Eclipse does. And so for me, it was really cool to kind of learn with that machine. And then I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm ready for, for an Eclipse now because I knew that was the one I wanted. And um, like Austin said, that's – or was it Hank? Um, the Iwata is kind of my, my workhorse. I use that for everything from base coats to, to priming to, to really all the stuff. It can get some good fine detail, but it's also got decent coverage. Shane likes it too. Yeah, so what I ended up getting was the uh, an Iwata 2, but not quite as nice as the Eclipse. I got one of like the model below that. I mean, on Amazon right now, the Eclipse is going for, you know, in the high hundreds, like $200-ish. And I think I picked up my Iwata Media for like $110, $115. So it sounds like you can still get a nicer airbrush that's not too expensive. Um, so maybe, would you say maybe in that like hundred dollar range is like a good place to, to start if you're wanting to get a little bit of a nicer airbrush, but you don't want to blow the bank? Yeah. Like the, the Badger Patriot's like $80, I think. And it's a really good intro brush. There's, um, a lot of people that use that. There's, uh, also if you're looking for, to get the quality of the, the higher end ones, such as like Harder and, and Steinbeck, same with Iwata. So Harder and Steinbeck actually has a sister company called Hansa, H-A-N-S-A, and they are not priced at what the higher-end ones are, but it's made with some of the same hardware. So there's a little hack for you. Awesome. How, how do you spell that? It is Hansa, H-A-N-S-A. Okay. Well, I'm going to look at that because yeah, I was actually looking at getting uh, one of those Infinities. Yep, same company. Half the price. Good to know, yeah, because I... I didn't want to spend $300 if I didn't have to. Yeah, a lot of those Hansas are on uh, Amazon for like $150. Okay. It's actually, well, that's that's good. my workhorse one is the is one of the Hansas. Uh, I end up using that one. I just catch myself using it more than the Iwata. And it's flexible enough where you can change out, like I was saying earlier, the, the different nozzle size. And same with the needle. Because uh, for those that, that are new to airbrushing, uh, if you ever, a lot of these airbrushes are flexible that you can actually change the the nozzle and needle size. You'd want to Google the model that you're looking at getting before buying those add-ons. So they can they can be a multi-purpose one, just like the Hansa. It goes from like a 0.2 to I think a 0.4, and I have two different needle sizes for that. Yeah, and if you can find the airbrushes that come with the extra sizes, that's like a bonus because I know like my Eclipse. It only came with a one nozzle, and that sells for like 150 at Hobby Lobby right now. And they had that special sticker on it where you can't use like the coupons, so it's like 150 plus tax. But the 0.35 nozzle for that uh, is like 30 something dollars. They've actually gotten to where they they've blocked the coupons on the. Yeah, the so if you go to Hobby Lobby, if you see a sticker that has it's like the uh, 
a yellow sticker with a red underneath it. It's like a yellow and red sticker with a price on it. It says like low price, whatever. Yeah, they don't let you use the coupons on those items. So, which is why I buy the small bottles of resin, like epoxy resin, because it's cheaper because I can use the $40 coupon on those where I can't on the, the bigger bottles that are like $20. The, the, the more you know. Do, 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 do. We're all uh, learning something yeah. today. So we talked a little bit about the airbrushes. So what, what to keep a lookout, right? You're looking for the gravity feeder cup, right? You're looking for the nozzle size and millimeter appropriate to what sort of type of painting you want to be looking at. You're looking at those. Maybe one might be a benefit if you get one that you can change out nozzles or needle size. Other sort of thing is to think about maybe that sweet, sweet price range of something in that hundred dollar range as far as wanting to get something nice, but not uh, maybe not maybe not blow the bank on your first one. You know, get a little use out of it. We'll kind of learn how to airbrush maybe on that first one you get. And I guess af- after the airbrush, right, the most important thing is the compressor, which is what actually feeds the air into the airbrush that pushes the paint out. So um, what would you say should people look at? Like, Austin, I know you mentioned getting, I think it was you or, or, or Hank mentioned getting one with with a tank. Uh, is that really a key aspect that you would be looking for in a, a compressor? Yeah, uh, I think the tank, uh, at least from personal experience, is, is a must. And the unfortunately, the, the, the compressor itself might cost similar to what the airbrush might be on, on your entry level. But like Billy has said, and I've said, and I, I don't recall if Hank said or not, um, the the compressor lasts several years, so it's not something that you're going to constantly be have, or you shouldn't have to constantly change out. And with the tank, it uh, it helps hold a certain amount of, of air to where it won't pulsate, because that would be the one thing that can happen with airbrush guns if if you don't have the PSI set to you know dialed in. Uh, to where it might pulsate and then throw a little speckle of paint on the miniature when you were trying to get the smooth blend. So I think the the tank is definitely needed. Yeah, I ended up getting for my one, for like my intro tank, uh, the one that was recommended to me was the Masters Airbrush Cool Runner. It's a three liter air tank uh gauge water trap all all the accoutrements and it was about 150 on amazon is that what you would expect to to pay for like a uh, you know in my research that that they said that was a, like a reasonable uh, a nice one to start with yeah i've got that i think that same compressor um i said i think i paid 125 for mine i got it on sale or something but i mean that's my only opinion about a compressor is like they said earlier um i think it was well what austin said you got make sure you have a tank on it like that's my only opinion um tank and i guess a water trap too those two things tank and water trap um just so that you have that constant airflow and the water trap because even if you have a tank but you don't have a water trap if you live in a place where it's it's humid you're going to get water in that tank and that water's got to go somewhere and you prefer it to not come out the end of your airbrush while you're painting now talk to me a little bit fellas about so when you have your compressor, you have the power to basically set the pressure, the, the PSI of the air, the, the compressor to whatever you want it to be. Is there like a certain sweet spot for airbrushing or is it really depending on what sort of technique you're doing with your airbrush? Or talk to, to me a little bit about setting up the compressor. Uh, well, for me, I'll, I'll go ahead and go on this one. Um, it depends on what I'm actually painting. 
so like for for priming, I use um, the Badger primers, and I usually prime at a little higher PSI, probably about 35 PSI, just because I don't like thinning that down too much, and the extra PSI really helps get it out. Most of the paints that I thin down, though, I will end up painting probably between 20 to 25 is really kind of the sweet spot for me. And then if I'm pushing glazes or washes through the airbrush, I'll drop it down to uh, between 5 and 10 sometimes. So it, for me, it just really depends on um, what I'm actually putting through the airbrush. Is that the same for you, Billy or Austin, kind of uh, depending on what the task is you're doing is what you're setting your compressor for? Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of times, too, um, you know, it just kind of depends on, like, the paint. And, like, I know we'll talk about that later, but, you know, you kind of – you get, like, a feel for, like, what paint needs what. And so, like, like you know, priming, I tend to have a little higher PSI. When you're cleaning, it's a little bit higher. But, you know, if I'm doing, like you said, kind of throwing some washes through there, or thin, super thin stuff, you kind of put it a little bit lower. So it's just kind of like a – I think I think 2025 for most things is a good starting point, and then you just kind of fiddle fart around with what you like. Yeah, I think to, they pretty much nailed it on on those different pressures. Most of mine is at 20, and then uh, the glazes around five to 10. And if you're trying to prime, it's around 30, low 30s. So I think we're all dialed in loosely the same. Awesome. That's all really good info to know. And, and and then, like you said, as you guys have grown in airbrushes, the compressor is maybe one one piece that when you're first starting out, it's okay to go ahead and spend a little more, more money on because it is something that's going to last with you through airbrushes as you upgrade the airbrush. Yeah. And those cool runners, uh, there's some on Amazon I was looking up earlier. Uh, I think that marked down as low as $90, which I mean, it's still a, a high entry point, but you don't have to drop the 150 or more on the compressor. And it's seems to be the same one that I think all three of us are using in the, uh, yeah. And then I'll post on the, I'll post on the counter charge Facebook page. to sort of all of the stuff that I got from my, when I went ahead and went all in on my Amazon, some, I'll put up some Amazon links for you guys to kind of, um, so you can kind of take a look at, cause I was going for like nothing crazy, but, but wanting just to get like something solid to begin with. So, okay, cool. So we've talked about the airbrush. Uh, we've talked about the compressor and the big thing with on the compressor, right. Is, is the tank and then having a, a, a good general idea of what your PSI ranges should be. And then after that, it's, a, you know, it's going to be a lot of just trial and error, just testing out what works for you. So now that you have the airbrusher and the compressor set up now, you kind of think about where am I going to do the airbrushing? So I know some places will sell, uh, like what Billy mentioned, uh, a booth, right. That will have like a venting system to help vent out the air. Often most people say you should be wearing a mask, even though it's acrylic paints, uh, and they're water based, you should probably still be wearing a mask. Why don't you guys talk a little bit about in more detail, maybe what, are you using like a cloth mask or a respirator or a little bit about your booth setup in more detail? Why don't you go first, Hank? Oh, I was going to let the other ones go first because I don't want to be the crazy one here. You know, there's always a lot of controversy around this, I guess. Um, I don't use a booth. I don't use a mask typically. Um, if I do use a mask, it is one of the 3M respirators. But for the most part, like I paint right at my my little hobby desk there and my wife she's a printmaker she has all of her stuff on the other side i've never gotten paint anywheres or splatter anywheres um the main thing is you know i'm not painting up in the air i'm painting directly down at an angle um, i have a 
piece of plywood over the top of my my desk there. So I'm painting straight down at an angle. And I've never had any problem with misting, um, except for usually like white paints for some reason, especially like the Badger white paints. I mean, I get like a cloud going when I paint with those things. So I don't typically use the whites from, from Badger too much just because of that reason. But yeah, I mean, I don't, it's probably a good idea if you're in an area where you can actually have a booth with a, with a, a vent hood. It would be a great idea. I just don't really have a setup or a specific space in my apartment where I can have something like that. Yeah, I just I don't use one. I haven't really had a reason to. So. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. Honestly, I was waiting for somebody else to say that they didn't really bother with all that. But uh, yeah, I've got a cardboard box that I spray into on my desk. This one is a Chessex box that I got, and uh, I have a mat over my desk so it doesn't like overspray really. But like you said, you're spraying if you're if you're holding the model like kind of recessed into the box, and you're spraying at a downward angle, you really don't you know you don't get any overspray. If I'm doing it for like an extended period of time, like if I'm like priming, I don't know more than five or ten models, yeah, I'll probably put a mask on just because that's a lot more paint. But if I'm doing you know a quick you know, like I usually paint my dwarves four or five at a time, so I'll, I'll prime four or five. It takes me 20 minutes, and then I'm done. I, I usually don't really bother. I guess that's the difference too, right? Like, because uh, like when I paint, like I'm not like holding down the trigger and pulling it back and just let paint flow through it like a like a madman. Because uh, if you did that, you probably would, you know, get a lot of particulates and stuff in the air. But you know, mine's it's very like short bursts, so I'm not like spraying paint everywhere. But, I mean, I guess if you're, like, just holding it down and just shooting paint out, you know, you might have a little bit more of a problem with that. It's funny that you guys were hesitant on going first because I think I'm in the same group. In terms of, like, a painting booth, I don't really use one. I just have, like, a an extra green mat I spray over. And, I mean, whatever overspray there is generally falls within a couple inches on this mat so it doesn't even get on the rest of the desk. And then, uh, I'll be honest, I, I don't kind of what like what uh what hank was saying i don't use a, a mask uh for airbrushing yeah you know in doing my research that was one of the and i and i hate to not even say it like a point of contention but it seemed to be the sort of if you have the space and want to do it you can get an airbrush and maybe in the perfect world we would all be airbrushing with 3m masks by a window with a hose venting out into the air but i i think w- the sort of thing that people did say is in using most acrylic paints you're probably safe i guess if you were gonna uh, airbrush some enamel paints or oil paints or maybe some more toxic paints you would want to maybe wear a mask what are your guys thoughts on that yeah i, mean, I, I have put some enamel through my airbrush um my old cheap airbrush because i don't want to put that stuff through uh, the one that i use all the time but when i did that i did i did wear a mask i don't know if it, you can call it paranoid or what but I mean, the fumes and stuff from the enamel paint's bad enough, so I couldn't imagine actually sucking all that stuff into your lungs. So that's the only time I've really actually worn a mask. Um, other than, you know, like I said, with the white stuff from Badger, where it literally created a haze all around me. Yeah, no, like, like I said, I in a perfect world, if I had the space and it wasn't 100 degrees outside every single day, I would totally do that. What I did pick up is I just got a big, like, pack of 100 just disposable cloth 
face masks, more kind of like surgical type cloth face masks. So that's what I was going to try to use, you know, when I started out. But again, I imagine that if you're just not going like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you're crazy with your nozzle and you're, you're, you're being smart with it. Uh, what you guys are saying makes sense to me. Um, and I don't know. I'm already going to die of liver cancer or, or whatever cancer from because I for, clean my brushes for my tip in my mouth. So I already have so much tox, acrylic paint I, in my bloodstream. I, I do that too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm guilty as well. It's like, a bad uh, habit, but it keeps the brushes nice and pointed. Yep, I can't do it. No matter, it's like a, it's like a, a, a twitch. Like I can't untrain my. This is how I've always done it. So I know probably I got a bunch of toxic crap at, running through my system anyway. But or uh, or you've built up a paint tolerance. Let's look at the positive. Seriously, it's like I'm like in the Princess Bride. I've been having a little bit of acrylic paint every day for my whole life, so I'm good. I've, I've built an immunity. But if you wanted, you know, Master Airbrush, they have a, a, a lighted airbrush booth you can get off of Amazon where it has some um, LED lights and an exhaust system. But those are going to run you anywhere between 100 and 150 bucks, depending on how fancy you get it. Um, but there are some stuff if you do want to invest in like a little booth. I know the Masters one folds up like a little briefcase and you can carry around with you. So if you wanted to have something you could set up, airbrush, and then put away, that might be a nice option for you to do one of the spray booths. Are you um, – do you have any Amazon affiliate links for this stuff? Because I feel like Countercharge should be collecting a check for all the money Amazon's about to get off this episode. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe we'll, maybe – well, I'll talk to Robbo Robs like uh, of, the fine mi- uh, of the mind that we just are like uh, won't ever monetize the show, which I totally get. I mean we do it for fun. Yeah. Uh, but if you know you just want to buy me uh, uh, a, a a beer, or if we're hanging out with me and Hank, you want to buy us some Dr Pepper at the next uh, uh, event, please do uh, for all this great info. And just you know, again, thanks to you guys again, and and uh, for being on this episode as we're covering all this great stuff. So okay, so we've talked airbrush, we've talked compressor, we've talked booth. So sort of the the what, the why, and the where of airbrushing. Uh, let's talk a little bit of cleaner. And like I know uh, I, some people will use the isopropyl alcohol. So I know uh, uh, some people are a fan of like the diluted Windex. So I know like, and then there's actual like airbrush cleaner that different ma- main brands do. What are, what should people be looking at for what they run through their airbrush as a cleaner or what they use as airbrush cleaner? Uh, I mean, I, I'm a pretty big fan of the diluted Windex or like I always have LA Awesome on hand because it can clean anything, but also it's great for models. And so I'll dilute one or the other. Um, and I usually just, you know, try to get the most non-toxic version of a thing that I can. Um, but yeah, I mean, they work about the same. And airbrush cleaner is like $20 a bottle for no reason. And LA Awesome is a dollar at the family dollar. So, you know, yeah, you make, uh, you make a decision. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually tried uh, when I first got the airbrush, like get the Iwata airbrush cleaner like Billy said, it's it's way overpriced. I'll be honest, just diluting Windex seems to do the trick. If you do ISO, um, just be careful on leaving it sit on the – a lot of airbrushes do have O-rings. You just don't want to leave that on there because I've, I've heard that it could compromise the seal. And I know, Hank, you, you were, you're a fan of you using the uh, alcohol as a cleaner? Yeah, and um, I – 
like I said, I, I just have mine filled up enough to cover the cup because, um, yeah, the alcohol will dry anything out that it sits in. But for the most part, I just run water through mine, and then, yeah, I put it in, in alcohol. That helps keep it, you know, all the paint kind of nice and loose so you can clean it really, really easily. I, I've used Windex before in the past. Um, when I first started airbrushing, you know, I was reading through all those forums, and everyone was like, oh, you know, Windex is a good cleaner and stuff, and it, it is. And then I read somewhere, too, where somebody was like, oh, you can keep your airbrush in Windex. And while I will say that diluted Windex is, like, a, a good way to clean your airbrush, I would not recommend leaving your airbrush in Windex, just because, especially if some Windex has, like, ammonia and some of it has, like, I think, a little bit of methanol or anything in it. Anyways, some airbrushes um, that have aluminum and other parts in it, uh, it's it's highly corrosive. I know because I had two airbrushes that I had to strip down and clean where all the parts were corroded together from it. So I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, but just shooting it through it to clean it out. Um, Windex works good. I like isopropanol. Um, the cleaners, I've never used them because I didn't want to pay that much. I'm kind of cheap that way. So, yeah, but you guys have never had any problems with Windex through your airbrushes, have you? No, I've never had that happen. I think it's just because I left it sitting in there for cleaning, you know? Yeah, I didn't know I any better at the time. After that, yeah, I was doing some research on it, and apparently, yeah, it's Windex corrodes certain kinds of metal. I used the thin paint with Windex, too. <laughs> okay, awesome. Uh, well, we're going to take a little break, and then when we come back from the other side, we're going to go into all things paint for airbrushing. So we'll be right back. Hey, this is Ash Barker from GMG, and you are listening to Countercharge. Hello, this is Duncan Rhodes from the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. And whilst you're listening to Countercharge, I hope you're sending your paints. And we are back. So now sort of uh, we've gone through all of the uh, uh, the technical equipment that you need to paint, but we haven't talked about paint at all yet. So and I know uh, Felix Castro has a question. He says, uh, are airbrush paints, paints thin specifically for airbrushes, worth it? Or do you guys just use water or thinner to achieve the consistency of paint? And then he also asked, any tips for achieving um, the balance of PSI and paint thickness? Oh, so we, we talked a little bit about that, right? About matching your PSI to sort of uh, uh, your consistency of paint. But um, so, yeah, so often we see we see a lot of like Vallejo, right? They have a model airline. Citadel has a Citadel airline. Um, what do you guys think about the either either using thinner for regular paints or airbrush specific paints? Do both work? Is one better than the other? Or what do you guys think? So uh, I actually use a lot of Vallejo paint, and I've used a bunch of the airbrush um, stuff. So I, I bought a bunch of the airbrush paints when I first started out because I thought that's what you do, right? They're airbrush paints. Um, I, I, I'm not a big fan just because I like to be able to control – how thick my paint is. And then like, for example, if you're trying to, you know, you do a base coat, but then you want to go back and do a highlight layer, or, you know, you need to color match something because you messed up and you have to go back and re rebase coat it with, with the, with the main color. It, it doesn't, it doesn't work as well. So I would rather just have the plain one, you know, there's the regular version of that color and then just dilute it as needed. And then technically if you want to be super cheap about it, um, if you buy undiluted paint, you actually get more paint then. Because you you're diluting it yourself, um, but I I also like thicker paint, and I know that's like sacrilege, but um, I just I I paint with probably thicker paint than one ought to, um, and so it just it doesn't it doesn't quite do it for me. 
but again, that's that's personal preference. And then kind of on Felix's point about achieving the optimal PSI to thinness of paint, I think that's all up to the individual paints. You know, I have some, like like I said, I use a lot of Vallejo paints. I have some Vallejo paints that I have to thin a ton. I have some that I barely have to do anything to at all. Some of them I have to turn the PSI down because they splatter. Some of them I have to turn it up because whatever. So it's just it's 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 definitely kind of a learning curve that you have to practice and play with. But then um, once you get it, man, is it is it wonderful? I think also uh, to to go off that, it's important when you're looking at thinning it to make sure you check the bottle if it's a thinner or a flow improver. Um, because if you flow improvers are great, they are they also thin the paint, but they also have a drying retardant. So you're gonna have a longer wait in between airbrushing to actually applying uh, paintbrush on top of it. And then going off what Billy said, um, yeah, I think it varies. Uh, I use a lot of scale paints uh, by Scale 75, and they tend to be a little thicker out of the bottle, so it takes a little bit more. Uh, you have to thin it down a little bit more. Lately, I've been uh obsessed with the the pro acryl paint that paints for whatever reason they just have really high opacity and for whatever reason they go through the airbrush without any thinner it's crazy don't know how but they do uh so i've been kind of shifting toward testing out more of those uh but i I think between that and the scale paints those have been my go-tos and having a lot of the scale range already like billy said it's easier to to match if you make a mistake so you want to make sure that whatever paint you're airbrushing with is one that you can paint with comfortably as well if you need to make any corrections what about you hank um i actually i just like thinning regular paint when i first started i bought this big huge paint set from like badger and you know, depending on your nozzle size, too, I didn't really know what I was doing as much back then, but I found out that most of that paint, even though it's for airbrushing, um, still needs to be thinned a little bit, particularly with the smaller nozzles. But yeah, for the most part, like I use Reaper paints a lot um, in Vallejo, and I just thin those down with a little bit of water. If I get like a really, really thick paint, like um, for some reason I haven't done this in a long time, but like Citadel paints... I still have a few pots of those around. Um, I'll use some thinner with those just because it helps bind the pigment a little bit better than water. Um, but yeah, other than that, I just use regular paint and a little bit of water. So you could go regular water, you could go thinner, or you could go flow improver, basically. And and, and maybe you might want to do one of different of those based on preference or what you're trying to paint or what you're going for. Yeah, well, and I would say the flow improver, if you're painting a lot and you're getting a dry tip a lot, um, where your needles, the paint's drying on your needle and kind of clogging things up a little bit, adding a little bit of flow improver would probably actually help with that. Could you go, if you wanted to, to uh, could you go like a couple drops of thinner and then like a drop of flow improver together? Yeah. I mean, there's no reason why. There's even, I even... Um, I mix matte mediums sometimes because some of the paints can be a little bit glossy, like from from Badger and stuff, um, or even some of the Scale 75 like satin. So I'll move, I'll mix in a little bit of like matte medium and then a little bit of water or thinner with that too. And Just that's like take... a, a whole a whole other episode we got to do at some point. I'll have you guys back on to go over paint additives. 
you know, and all that stuff that, because that's like a whole other world when you start exploring mediums and flow aid and all that stuff. Um, Austin, do you have like a set recipe you like to do, like three drops of paint, one drop of thinner, or is it totally just like jazz? You just kind of go with it and find find something that works. I just go with the mad scientist approach. I don't have a, a notepad or anything that has the the ratios. That's that's for all of my painting. Um, so with the scale paints, I, I just kind of eyeball it. I, I don't really have like a three to one ratio or something. I'm, and it, it's worked fine thus far. And then that the pro acryl paints, I don't use any flow improver, any thinner. And that's the same one. I, I paint straight on with the brush I can do with an airbrush, which is magic. And what is, what company makes that? Is that the actual name of the company pro acryl or is it like a made by another company? They were I'm not familiar were, with that line. Yeah, they were fused with uh, its monument. Uh, Mo, uh, yeah, monument hobbies, I believe, is the name of the company that makes it. Uh, they merged with Creature Caster, then they broke into their their own separate identity. Um, but they have roughly, I'm guessing here, about fifty paints, uh, a dozen transparents as well which is kind of like your contrast paint so for the people that are um if there are anybody out there that are big on gw stuff you have a dropper version of of that as well so i've been all about that lately so are they sort of because i know you've i'm a big scale fan myself so and i know you love scale Has, has this sort of been taking your your pulling you away trying to seduce you away from the scale paints it's definitely making an attempt. Uh, I mean, I, I still love the scale paints, and it's not that I value one over the other. Honestly, and end up getting mixed pretty evenly, um, but without having to to mess around with the the thinner or the flow improver or or water or whatever have you. It's been a pretty nice. And they don't advertise them like that, but I've ran just about every color through, and it it hasn't clogged yet. I mean, maybe for extended periods of time, but for what I need to get done. Uh, it's, it's worked like a charm. Do you guys find, and we've talked about this on the show before, but I'd love to hear your perspective as such great hobbyists. Oftentimes people will ask, which paint brand should I use? Or what's the best paint brand? And I've found that I used to be sort of that where I would just buy a line and stick to that line. And, but the more I've grown as a hobbyist, I've found that maybe this one company has an orange that I really like. Or maybe this one company has a blue I really like, and I begin to kind of maybe have a core line, but grab certain colors from different lines. Is that is that resonate with you guys, or do you stick to one line of paint, or do you have certain colors from different lines you really like? Honestly, I I've been kind of stuck on a lot of the same stuff, but it's a lot to do with availability, and then a lot of the other thing is like if I do want to go by scale, that's like a big investment, and I think that a lot of people you know tend to use the same sort of stuff just because of you know, availability locally. Um, and I'm definitely one of those, one of those people. Uh, it's not that I'm averse to trying it. I just, I'm averse to being like, Oh, I'm going to drop $80 on this new paint set. <laughs> sure. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm pretty set on Reaper and, and Vallejo. Um, mainly I use Vallejo for a long time. Um, people ask me like which paints to get. And, you know, to me, it, <laughs> 
whatever you like, I guess. I can tell you which lines that you probably shouldn't get, like the army painter stuff. Stay away from that. <laughs> that was like the worst investment I ever made. And I don't like the Citadel paints either. But like the army painter paints, man, they they I got I think I got like um, tennis elbow or something from shaking those bottles so much because <laughs> I swear like they don't cover very well and then you know five minutes later you got to put a little bit more on your palette and the, the paint's completely separated again so you're back to shaking but um, I found I really really like um, Vallejo for their opacity and I like Reaper uh, because they have decent coverage but they're really good for layering And then for skin tones, I forgot skin tones. I like scale 75. I bought like one of their skin tone sets and I don't think I'll ever go back to using oh, their yeah, skin their, tones. Their skin tones are amazing. I've uh, been working on with those uh, within the last couple months myself. Yeah, I'm a and big fan of They go great through the, an airbrush too. The skin tones do so. Very well, little that's fitting. That's awesome. Um, what about you, Austin? I know you're kind of, like you said, the mad scientist. You're all, you use all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I, I try to at least, uh, like Billy said, uh, I'm not trying to jump in and, and grab like the these bundles or sets since a lot of those are repetitive colors. But I'll, I'll try to at least get a, a couple paints out of whatever the the new paint is on the market just to see and compare. Um, but uh, in terms of, of airbrush use, I think Scale and, and Pro Acryl seem to be the, the main ones I've been using lately. Um I love Chimera paints, but they are just so thick. Uh, it's more of a brush-on thing, and uh, by far the the the, th- the uh, probably the, the most opaque. Um, but I, I would say scale. I mean, like they were saying, it just depends. I don't think there's one range that does everything the best. It's a matter. It's subjective. But scale paints has a flat black. It's hard to beat, in my opinion. And there's there's different colors and different ranges that seem to do well. I don't think one company just has a the best of every color well cool guys is is there anything else you can think about that you would want someone to be aware of or on their mind if they're thinking about getting into airbrushing i would just say do it just buy it because it's going to make your life so much better like every time i've ever talked to somebody about getting an airbrush and then they get an airbrush they go i don't know what i was doing for the past 15 years and it, it's it's gonna change your your hobby experience in a you know in a positive way. Um, so that's what I'm about to say about that. I would say the same thing. Just do it. Make sure you buy a cleaning kit. Um, again, like one of my favorite things to do, like with an airbrush, is adding all of those little tones and stuff with glazes. It just, it saves so much time. Um, at the same time, though, I would say get an airbrush. You know, you get used to using it in shortcuts. If you really want to to up your game, don't let it completely overtake your painting. Because um, there's things that I can do with the airbrush that I still on models go back and take the time to do with an actual brush, so I, that I don't lose that skill set. Um, but overall, I mean, it's it's just it's fantastic. I don't know why you wouldn't want to get one. Yeah, I I think much like they said, um, it's a it's a little bit of an upfront cost, but it's a great long-term investment and the flexibility you can do with them. I mean, from what we've talked about on the show, from priming to base coating, I mean, we didn't even talk about, you You can do object source lighting if you want uh, yep. type of light glows to come off of flames. Uh, there, there's a lot you can do with it and it's not, 
it's not anything overly complicated on a technique. It's just a matter of you getting comfortable with, with the trigger and kind of understanding the distance. Yeah, that was one thing that we sort of touched on, but there are some techniques, right, that you just can't do with a brush. Like I'm getting ready to do some mar- marble basing for a project using um, a baby wipe where you put the baby wipe on top and you airbrush through it and it picks up all those veins and stuff. There's just certain techniques that you just can't do without an airbrush, right? Besides just speed. Yeah, the time investment on, um, say, a, a marble base. I mean, I've spent days before on trying to get that right. And then, like you said, with the baby wipe trick, you can take it through an airbrush, get similar results, sometimes even cleaner results. And you've invested five, maybe ten minutes into it at most. And it, 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 you'd never be able to tell. Um, like I, you were just mentioning flames, Austin, I, I literally, you know, I'm doing my orc project and this orc project is definitely a, an exercise and can I do something quickly that looks cool? And, um, there's these little flames on the back of these chariots and I straight up just airbrushed them on. And I mean, it looks, it looks fine. Like I did a bunch of orange, red, yellow transitions and, you know, I went back with a brush a little bit, but I mean, most people, wouldn't be able to tell and to do that with a brush would have taken me 10 times as long. Yeah. I think one of the cool things that I like to do too is, um, adding depth, you know, like I talked a little bit about shadows, but you know, if you're like painting a really quick army or something and, um, you're kind of speed painting and you got it all down, it looks pretty good. I like warm shadows for me. So I like a really dark red. I'll actually just take the model and I'll flip it completely upside down and I'll spray from underneath that red. So it catches everything underneath coming up. And then when you look at it straight up, um, I mean, you get like this instant shadow and all of this depth that all of a sudden just appears on the model that wasn't there before. But if you look at it from underneath, all you see is solid red. Yeah, yeah and the, the same thing. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Billy. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, there's tons of techniques like that. I've seen a lot of people do uh, like nighttime schemes where they 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 paint them that way. And it's, it's really cool. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of really cool, quick and easy techniques you can do. And there's a lot of, uh, awesome advanced, you know, fancy stuff that you can do. Yeah. Similar to Hank, uh, uh the one that's currently on my desk, I took the, the opposite side. I was angle. I was painting toward on the light and hit it with airbrush with a contrasting color. And it seems to look pretty good. Um, subjectively, I guess, but, uh, it, it the amount of options you have with an airbrush is pretty surreal. Not to mention the amount of time you've saved, which I know we've hammered quite a bit. Huge, huge time save when using one. So if someone was going to first start, so I'm I'm getting ready in the next slide. So I've got all my stuff, right? I got my compressor. I got my airbrush. I got my cleaner. I got all all my accoutrements. Uh, I was going to first maybe start with just priming some models. What? Does that make sense to you guys? Or what would you tell someone to start when they're first, like the very first thing that they airbrush? What what would be a good starting point? A piece of paper. <laughs> okay, so don't even don't even touch a model yet. I mean, if you're just air- priming, that's that's okay, right? But like when you're playing down, like um, especially if you get once you get to like detail and stuff. I mean, paint consistency is key. So until you get down like your consistency on paint and your PSI, um, you're gonna have lots of frustrations of too much paint or splatter. Um, so those are like your key basics, right? Con- paint consistency and control, um, controlling the airflow and the paint flow before you go spraying actual stuff on a model. Because otherwise you're just gonna end up getting 
frustrate it more than likely. I agree about the paper. Um, I, I definitely did a bunch of that. And honestly, like, so what I did was um, when I first got my airbrush, I actually painted an entire abyssal dwarf army. And I, my goal with that army was I'm going to use the airbrush as much as I possibly can, just so I can kind of like uh, use the tool to its to its best ability on every possible thing that I could. So I could kind of really easily learn its limitations, um, learn the things it can do well. And, um, and that was pretty cool. So, I mean, like literally from, from the bases to the, the base coating on the models, the Zenithal to the OSL, I, I did everything, um, with an airbrush and then barely really did any brush work. And I think that's actually probably a, a pretty good idea. Get, you know, once you get uh, get a handle on how the tool works, you know, maybe get a hold of some some cheap minis and try to bust something out, you know, just as a as a way to test it out. Maybe if you already were wanting to do like a speed project and have like a speed paint army, why not do that with the airbrush so you can kind of kind of learn it while you're doing that uh, a project? Absolutely. Uh, I think one thing that we should mention too that we haven't touched on um, is is masking, right? So like what you should use to mask your models off. Like if you're just painting one part of it so you don't get overspray. Sure, definitely. Is there a certain type of uh, uh, product I, or what do you do? I might be weird. I found the, the best thing that I personally like to use is Silly Putty. No, I've heard that before. Yeah. I used the blue tag before and I've had it take paint off. Um you can use painter's tape, but a silly putty is just really easy to just squish around and get everything masked off the way that you want it and doesn't take any paint off or anything. So that's what I use. Yeah, honestly, like when people that play 40K tell me they don't have an airbrush, I'm like, why? <laughs> like you could paint your entire army in like an afternoon with an airbrush. I still like, have it, the majority of a chaos army from 2009 that I haven't even painted and I've I painted a couple of those with an airbrush like maybe two years ago, and I painted like four of them in like an hour, just zenithal and then um, just spraying from up above, you know, and then a wash on it, and it looked fine for tabletop. Yeah, it's I mean it's crazy. Like um, I don't know, it, it it's just it's such a valuable tool, and you get so much versatility out of it. Like I don't see why you wouldn't want to use it. Um, of course, like anything, it's going to take a little bit of learning. You're not going to be an expert at it. You're probably going to suck at it, but you know, you practice, you do better, and then uh, you know, it makes your life a lot better. So, well, it's sort, it's sort of the idea, right? When you learn something new, the one step back, two steps forward, right? Like when you first use it, your painting may go down a little bit, or you may be a little bit more frustrated. But once you break through it, you're going to come out the other end as a much better painter. Is that sort yeah. of what you're what you're saying, Billy? Absolutely. I mean, even even the, more than just doing better, like even if you don't improve, just quality of life-wise, I think airbrushing is totally worth it. Yeah, and I would recommend watching lots of videos. Uh, the one thing that I struggled with first off when I, when I started was um, this whole concept in my mind that this is going to speed up my painting without realizing that even though it speeds up your, your painting, airbrushing within itself is still... Uh, sometimes a slow process, right? Because you you may not actually see the paint going down, you know, the as bright as you would want it to. Um, I mean, sometimes in one model, you might end up putting three to five layers down before you actually get um, the tone and stuff that you're looking for. Just because 
it comes out pretty thin. And if you're sitting there spraying until you see color, a lot of times you end up putting on too much paint. And then you have other problems. So that's also like one of the positives with with airbrush over paint. Yeah, you can glaze your, your regular paints and try to make them as transparent as possible. But like you were just saying, you can you can control the amount of paint you're putting on it to where you can put layers and not even make it super obvious to the naked eye. So then your transitions are super smooth. Yeah, and you get into a whole other thing, too, with, with like, underpainting with that, too, because um, you can put down your shadow colors, too, with thin layers over it, where you still have your shadows showing through. And then, yeah, you layer colors on top of colors, and you get like just really, really weird, awesome um, tones and, and uh, gradients and stuff that you just can't get with a brush. I mean, I guess you could, but it would take you a really, really long time. Yeah, circles back to the time investment part. So if you guys could call up Doc Brown, you're getting in the DeLorean, you're going to 88, and you're going back to yourself on day one of your airbrush life, what would be like the piece of advice that you would give yourself or the, the uh, encouragement or what would you tell, tell yourself if you could go back to when you first started airbrushing? I think with me, the, the main one is just being proactive on cleaning the, the uh, tools when you're done. There's times where like you're airbrushed and then you get excited, want to jump straight into brush work and you're leaving the airbrush beside you. Meanwhile, the paint's drying out and then it's just that much harder to clean later. Take it just a couple minutes, clean it out, and it'll make the world's difference. Next time you pick up the airbrush, you're not frustrated on it clogging. I would say um, I would tell myself to, you know, try to paint more stuff at a time. Because if you're if you're thinking it's going to speed you up and you're airbrushing like a model at a time, it's you're not really gonna you're not really gonna save much much time and effort. Um, so I would just say you know if I'm gonna take the time to set it up, do all the cleaning, make sure to you know make it worthwhile. Um, and then two is if I if you are gonna do that, you know make sh- just make sure you clean things better. Um, I would have also told myself to buy a Sonic jewelry cleaner. Like at the beginning, because it's the best. That's well. That I actually have a Sonic cleaner. I should probably use that. That would well. That we good. haven't really talked about. So why don't you take us? What is that, Billy? So it's this thing that you know, ladies or people that own lots of jewelry, I suppose, um, use to clean their jewelry. And it, I don't know the exact science of it, but I suppose it creates like sonic waves that shake the dust off of stuff. And um, you can take your airbrush apart and put it in there. In fact, manufacturers don't recommend you do this. But every single human being that uses an airbrush recommends that you do it. Um, but it it just cleans it deeper than you possibly could. Um, so every every you know every few months or so I'll do that just to kind of shake all the all the crap off of it. Um, but I've had the same Iwata Eclipse for about three or four years now, and I've been using it. I use it constantly, and uh, you know. I, I just clean it with that Sonic cleaner every once in a while. I got this one at a at an estate sale. I don't honestly know how much Sonic cleaners cost, but um, if you go to estate sales a bunch, um, you can might probably find one there. Cool. Well, what about you, Hank? I don't think we we got to you yet. What would you tell um, yourself? Mine mine would have been when I first started. It would be to get um, a cleaning kit and one of those. Um, I don't even what you call them. It's it's I, I guess it's like a cleaning basin, you know, it kinda doubles as like a airbrush holder. 
Um, I got one for Christmas, I think, a year or two ago, last year. Anyways, that's been a game changer because, you know, it holds my airbrush and then I can spray everything into it. I don't have to worry about all the stuff coming out of the cup and everything. Um, So mine would have been to invest in cleaning uh, a lot sooner instead of just, you know, running stuff through. Because the nozzle gets clawed, you got to have tools to clean that. So definitely um, spend the extra money. And even if it's one of those cheap, like $30 ones that has like the little thin needle where you can clean your nozzle and stuff out, it's definitely worth it. Uh, as far as actual painting goes, it, it would have been actually learning paint consistency and, and brush control with it, like trigger control, before I actually went and started painting models because I had a lot of um, frustration with having everything look perfect and then I'll change colors or something and it'll be too runny and then I just ruined this nice beautiful paint job that I you know spent 30 minutes laying down with the airbrush before and and now I got to start all over. So um, learning the basics, definitely, instead of being impatient and just jumping ahead. And the cleaner that Hank mentions is the same one that I got. So uh, in the show notes, I'll give you all the Amazon links for the setup that I just purchased. But after doing some research, it, it's sort of like that middle of the road where, you know, something not super not the Ferrari, but uh, uh, something pretty good. So I'll have all those uh, posted in the show notes if you guys want to actually go look at the stuff that I'll be using personally. So Yeah, it comes with this nice needle. So like if you have some really like fine detail work that you're going to do and you want to make sure that you have it really clean, it's, you know, it takes like 20 seconds to unscrew the top, pop out the, um, the nozzle and just stick that needle. And it has almost like a little blade on it. It just scrapes all the dry paint out and you're good to go put it back together and and keep going well awesome fellas i want to really thank you for coming on the show uh why don't we go around the horn if people are interested in checking out what you guys are painting if you have like a a instagram or a certain facebook group you you post your stuff in why don't we go around and uh you guys can let the audience know how they can follow your painting adventures uh so i'm uh i'm on twitter it's billy underscore score Capcom. Uh, I'm also in a bunch of Facebook groups for painting for whatever game I'm playing. Um, I also have an Instagram. I believe it's also Billy underscore Capcom, but it's related to that. It should be fine, uh, easy to find. I'm, I've, I've been really lazy with posting that stuff, but I try to post it up everywhere um, when, I, when I finish it up. Uh, but really, if, if it's Kings of War related, I'm posting it in Fanatics anyway. Oh, the other thing is I'm also sort of quasi writing a series of articles for mantic about my orc army so you can also see those there cool what about you hank um i post pretty much everything in kings of, of war but i have um, an instagram account just, just hank gooch that i post a lot of my my stuff on there and there's probably a lot of pictures on there that's not on kings of war miniatures and stuff that aren't related to um to tabletop war gaming and stuff so uh, yeah, I also post, I'm trying to get better at posting on some of the Kings of War things, but uh, on those various pages, but also have an Instagram, uh, Instagram.com slash Momentum underscore painting. Well, thanks, guys. I want to thank you for coming on the show and thank you for the future in which you will all hopefully be kind and answering all my questions when I send you guys air push questions on, on why does my thing look so bad or, or how do I clean this stupid thing? So I owe all of you guys uh, post-COVID hugs 
uh, when we are able to return to each other in person. Uh, I will be uh, hooking you guys up for uh, uh, all this great knowledge. So thanks again. And uh, remember, as always, keep counter charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Counter Charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.